Section 9 of The Vertical City. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Lisa Reichert. The Vertical City by Fanny Hurst. Section 9. The Smudge. Part 1. In the bleak little graveyard of Hattie Birch's dead hopes, dead loves, and dead ecstasies, more than one headstone had long since begun to sag, and the wreaths of bleeding heart to shrivel. That was good, because the grave that is kept bubbly with tears is a tender, quivering thing, almost like an amputated bit of self that still aches with threads of life. Even over the mound of her dead ambitions, which grave she had dug with the fingers of her heart, Hattie could walk now with unsensitive feet. It had become dry clay, with cracks in it like sardonic smiles. Smiles. That was the dreadful part because the laugh where there have been tears is not a nice laugh, and Hattie could sit among the headstones of her dead dreams now and laugh, but not horridly, just drearily. There was one grave, Heart's Desire, that was still a little moist, but it too of late years had begun to sink in, like an old mouth with receding gums, as if the very teeth of a smiling dream had rotted. They had... Hattie, whose heart's desire had once been to play Juliet, played maids now, buxom negro ones, with pale palms, white eyes, and the beat of kettledrums somewhere close to the cuticle of the balls of her feet. She was irrevocably down on managers' and agents' lists as comedy black, countless the premieres she had opened to the fleck of a duster. Hattie came high as maids go, one hundred and fifty dollars a week and no road engagements. She dressed alone. Her part in Love Me Long had been especially written in for the sake of the peculiar kind of comedy relief she could bring to it. A light roar of recognition swept the audience at her entrance. Once in a while, a hand clap. So Hattie, whose heart's desire had once been to play Juliet, played maids now. Buxomly. And this same Hattie, whose heart's desire had once been to kiss love, but whose lips were still a little twisted with the taste of clay, could kiss only love's offspring now, but not bitterly, thanksgivingly. Love's offspring was Marcia, sixteen, and the colour and odour of an ivory fan that has lain in frangipani. And Hattie could sometimes poke her tongue into her cheek over this bit of whimsy. It was her well-paid effort in the burnt cork that made possible, for instance, the frill of real lace that lay to the low little neck of Marcia's first party dress, as if blown there in sea-spume. Out of the profit of Hattie's justly famous brown cold cream, guaranteed colour fast, mulatto, medium, chocolate, had come Marcia's ermine muff and tippet, the enamel toilet set, the Steinway grand piano, the yearly and by no means light tuition toll at Miss Harperley's select day school for girls. You get the whimsy of it? For everything fair that was Marcia, Hattie had brownly paid for, liltingly, and with the rill of the song of thanksgiving in her heart. That was how Hattie moved through her time, hugging this melody of Marcia, through the knife-edged nervous evenings in the theatre, bawlings, purple lips with loose muscles crawling under the rouge, fetidness of scent on stale bodies, round faces that could hook into the look of vultures when the smell of success became as the smell of red meat, 
all the petty soiled vanities like the disordered boudoir of a cocotte the perpetual stink of perfume powder on the air and caking the breathing open dressing-room doors that should have been closed the smelling geometry of the make-up box curls corsets cosmetics men in undershirts grease painting got a mighty toddy them's my teddy bears you're puttin on raw nerves raw emotions ego the actor's overtone abroad everywhere and full of strut overture the weight in the wings dizziness at the pit of the stomach audiences with lean jaws etched into darkness jaws that can smile or crack your bones and eat you faces swimming in the stage ozone and wolfish for cue the purple lips almost like a frieze stuck on to the border of each day was hattie's life in the theatre passementary that was how hattie treated it especially during those placid years of the phenomenal new york run of love me long the outer edge of her reality the heart of her reality why the heart of it was the long morning hours in her own fragrant kitchen over doughnuts boiled in oil and snowed under in powdered sugar cookies that bit with a snap fillet of sole boned with fingers deft at it and served with the merest fluff of tartar sauce marcia ate like that preciously pecksniffily an egg at breakfast a gag to the sensibilities so hattie ate hers in the kitchen standing and tucked the shell out of sight wrapped in a lettuce leaf beefsteak for instance sickened marcia because there was blood in the ooze of its juices but hattie had a sly way of camouflage filet mignon so strengthening you see crushed under a little millinery of mushrooms and served under glass then when marcia's neat little row of neat little teeth bit in and the munch began behind clean and careful lips hattie's heart a regular old bandit for cunning beat hoppity skippity jump those were her realities home the new sandwich cutters heart shape diamond shape spade the strip of hall carpet newly discovered to scour like new with brush and soap and warm water epstein's meat market throws in free suet the lamp with the opal silk shade for marcia's piano white oilcloth is cleaner than shelf paper dotted swiss curtains the ones in marcia's room looped back with pink bows old sashes pressed out and fringed at the edges and if you think that hattie's six rooms and bath and sunny full-sized kitchen on morningside heights were trumped-up ones of the press agent for the sunday supplement look in any afternoon tuesday say and marcia just home from school on tuesday afternoon of every other week hattie made her cream in a large copper pot that hung under the sink six dozen half-pint jars waiting to be filled with brown cold cream one hundred and forty-four jars a month guaranteed color fast mulatto medium chocolate labeled sealed sold and demand exceeding the supply an ingratiating expert cream known the black-faced world over it slid into the skin not subtly but illuminating it to winking african copper for instance hattie's make-up cream for linda in love me long was labelled chocolate but it worked in even a truer brown as if it had come out of the pigment instead of gone into the pores four hours of stirring it took 
adding with exact minutiae the mysteriously proper proportions of spermaceti, oil of sweet almonds, white wax. But never mind, Hattie's dark secret was her own. Fourteen years of her black art as Broadway's maid deluxe had been her laboratory. It was almost her boast now, remember the sunken headstones, that she had handled spotlessly every fair young star of the theatre's last ten years. It was as mysterious as pigment, her cream, and as true, and netted her, with occasional extra batches, an average of two hundred dollars a month. She enjoyed making it, singing as she stirred, or rather stirring as she sang, the plenitude of her figure enveloped in a blue-and-white bungalow apron with rick-rack trimming. Often Marcia, home from day-school, watched. Propped up in the window-frame with her pet cat, a Persian, with eyes like swimming-pools with painted green bottoms, seated in a perfect circle in her quiet lap, for all the world in the attitude of a sardelle, except for the toothpick through. Sometimes it almost seemed as if Marcia did the purring. She could sit there like that, motionless, her very stare seeming to sleep. To Hattie that stare was beautiful, and in a way it was, as if two blue little suns were having their high noon. Sometimes Marcia offered to help, because toward the end Hattie's back could ache at this process terribly, the pain knotting itself into her face when the rotary movement of her stirring arm began to yank at her nerves. "'Mummy, I'll stir for a while.' Marcia's voice was day-schooled, as clipped, as boxed, and as precise as a hedge. Neat, too, as neat as the way her clear little lips met, and her teeth, which had a little mannerism of coming down after each word, biting them off like threads. They were appealing teeth, that had never grown big or square. Very young corn— to Hattie there was something about them that reminded her of a tiny set of Marcia's doll dishes that she had saved. Little innocences. I don't mind stirring, dear. I'm not tired. But your face is all twisted. Hattie's twisted face could induce in Marcia the same gagging pallor that the egg in the morning or the red in the beefsteak juices brought there. Go in and play the piano a while, Marcy. I'll be finished soon. Shh! no pussy kitty's asleep as the cream grew heavier and its swirl in the pot slower hattie could keep the twist out of her face only by biting her tongue she did and a little arch of sweat came out in a moustache the brown mud of the cream began to fluff hattie rubbed a fleck of it into her freckled forearm yes hattie's arm was freckled and so was the bridge of her nose in a little saddle once there had been a prettiness to the freckles because they whitened the skin they sprinkled, and were little stars to the moon-readiness of Hattie's hair. But the red of the moon had set coldly in Hattie's hair now, and the stars were just freckles, and there was the dreaded ridge of flesh showing above the ridge of her corsets. And when she leaned forward to stir, her cheeks hung forward like a spaniel's, not of fat but heaviness. Hattie's arms and thighs were granite to the touch, and to the scales. Kindly freckled granite. She weighed almost twice what she looked. Marcia, whose hips were like lyres, hated the ridge above the corset line, and massaged it. Mab smacking the Himalayas. After a while, there in the window frame, Marcia closed her eyes. There was still the illusion of a purr about her. 
probably because as her kitten warmed in its circle its coziness began to whir mountingly the september afternoon was full of drone the roofs of the city from hattie's kitchen window which overlooked morningside heights lay flat as slaps tranced indoor quiet presently hattie began to tiptoe the seventy-two jars were untopped now in a row on a board over the built-in wash-tub seventy-two yawning for content squunch her enormous spoon into the copper kettle and flop gurgle goose softly into the jars one two three at the sixty-eighth marcia without stirring or lifting her lids spoke into the sulky silence mummy yes marcy you'll be glad hattie paused at the sixty-eighth why dear i came home in noni grosbeck's automobile i'm invited to a dinner dance october the seventeenth at their house in gramercy park the words must have gone to hattie's knees because dropping a spat of mulatto cold cream on the linoleum she sat down weakly on the kitchen chair that she had painted blue and white to match the china cereal set on the shelf above it marcy and she likes me better than any girl in school mommy and i'm to be her chum from to-day on and not another girl in school is invited except edwina neeson because her father's on nearly all the same boards of directors with mr grosbeck and marcia marcia and you came home from school just as if nothing had happened child sometimes i think you're made of ice why i'm glad mummy but that's what there were little ice glints of congealed satisfaction in marcia's eyes glad said hattie the word full of tears why honey you don't realize it but this is the beginning this is the meaning of my struggle to get you into miss harperley's school it wasn't easy i've never told you the the strings i had to pull conservative people you see that's what the grosbecks are too home people the kind who can afford to wear dowdy hats and who have lived in the same house for thirty years noni's mother was born in the house they live in substantial people who half sole their shoes and endow colleges taxpayers policy-holders church members oh marcia those are the safe people there's a grosbeck memorial window in the rock church i used to be so afraid for you marcy afraid you would take to the make-believe folks the play people the theatre i used to fear for you the pullman car the furnished room that going to the hotel room alone nights after the show you laugh at me sometimes for just throwing a veil over my face and coming home blackface it's because i'm too tired marcy too lonesome for home on the road i always used to think of all the families in the audience the husbands and wives brides and grooms sweethearts after the performance they all went to homes to brownstone fronts like the grosbecks to cottages to flats with a snack to eat in the refrigerator or laid out on the dining-room table lamps burning and waiting nighties laid out and bed-covers turned back and then me second-rate hotels that walk through the dark downtown streets passing men who address you through closed lips the dingy lobby there's no applause lasts long enough marcia to reach over that moment when you unlock your hotel room and the smell of disinfectant and unturned mattresses comes out to you oh oh keep to the safe people marcia the unexciting people maybe 
but the safe home-building ones with old ideals and old hearthstones. Noni says they have one in their library that comes from Italy. Hitch your ideal to a hearthstone like that, Marcia. Noni goes to riding academy. So shall you. It's six dollars an hour. I don't care. Her father's retired except for being director in banks. And mommy, they don't mind, dear, about us. Noni knows that my father is is separated and never lived at home with us. She's broad-minded. She says just so there's no scandal, a divorce, or anything like that. She said it's vulgar to cultivate only rich friends. She says she'd go with me even if she's forbidden to. Why, Marcy, darling, why should she be forbidden? Oh, Noni's broad-minded. She says if two people are unsuited, they should separate, quietly, like you and my father. She knows we're one of the first old southern families on my father's side. I, I'm not trying to make you talk about it, dear, but, but we are, aren't we? Yes, Marcy. He, he was just irresponsible. That's not being not nice people, is it? No, Marcy. Noni's not forbidden. She just meant in case, Mummy. You see, with some old families like hers, the stage... But Noni says her father couldn't even say anything to that if he wanted to. His own sister went on the stage once, and they had to hush it up in the papers. Did you explain to her, Marcy, that stage life at its best can be full of fine ideals and truth? Did you make her see how regular your own little life has been? How little you know about my work? How away I've kept you? How I won't even play out-of-town engagements, so we can always be together in our little home? You must explain it. You must explain all those things to your friends at Miss Harperley's. It helps with steady people. I have, Mummy, and she's going to bring me home every afternoon in her automobile after we've called for her brother Archie at Columbia Law School. Marcy, the Grosbeck automobile bringing you home every day. And it's going to call for me the night of the party. Noni's getting a lemon taffeta. I'll get you ivory with a bit of real lace. Oh, Mommy, Mommy, I can scarcely wait. What did she say, Marcy, when she asked, invited you? She? Noni. Why, she didn't invite me, Mommy. But you said, it was her brother Archie invited me. We called for him at Columbia Law School, you see. It was he invited me. Of course Noni wants me and said yes right after him. But it's he who wants Noni and me to be chums. I, he, I thought, I told you, Mommy. Suddenly Marcia's eyes, almost with the perpendicular slits of her kittens in them, seemed to swish together like portieres, shutting Hattie behind them with her. Oh, my Marcy, said Hattie, dimly, after a while, as if from their depths. Marcy, dearest, at Harperley's, Mommy, almost all the popular upper-class girls wear uh, a boy's fraternity pin. Fraternity pin? It's the, the beginning of being engaged. But, Marcy, Archie's a pie-fi. A what? A pie-fi. Fie-pie, Marcy, dear. On October 17th, Love Me Long celebrated its 200th performance. Souvenir programs. A few appropriate words by the management. A flashlight of the cast. A round of wine passed in the after-the-performance gloom of the wings. 
aqueous figures fading off in the orderly backstage fashion of a well-established success. Hattie kissed the star. They liked each other with the unenvy of their divergent roles. Miss Robinson even humoured some of Hattie's laughs. She liked to feel the flame of her own fairness as she stood there waiting for the audience to guffaw its fill of Hattie's drolleries. A narcissus swaying reedily beside a black crocodile. She was a new star, and her beauty the colour of cloth of gold, and Hattie, in her lowly comedian way, not an undistinguished veteran. So they could kiss, in the key of a cat cannot unseat a king. But just the same, Miss Robinson's hand flew up automatically against the dark of Hattie's lips. I don't fade off, dearie. Your own natural skin is no more colorfast. I handled Elaine Doramus in the snowdrop for three seasons, never so much as a speck or a spot on her. My cream don't fade. Of course not, dear. How silly of me. Kiss me again. That was kind enough of her. Oh, yes, they got on. But sometimes Hattie, seated among her sagging headstones, would ache with the dry sob of the black crocodile who yearned toward the narcissus. End of the Smudge Part 1